1: Father thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you Lord for giving us these windows into the lives of these people and most importantly how you were their God. And so Lord teach us this morning as we look to you for instruction in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now if you like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 48. Genesis 48 and we're going to as was mentioned really kind of get into these blessings here that Jacob is first giving. Genesis 48, verse 5. 48, verse 5. Now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan. Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and, lo, God has showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from before, between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand. "'and brought them nearer to him. "'And Israel stretched out his right hand "'and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, "'and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, "'guiding his hands wittingly, "'for Manasseh was the firstborn. "'And he blessed Joseph and said, "'God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, "'the God which fed me all the life long unto this day, "'the angel which redeemed me from all evil, "'bless the lads, and let my name be named on them.' And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. All right, so the chapter opens with the solemn words in verse one, where it says, it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So those are very, very important words because they set the stage. The stage is that Jacob is on the verge of death. He's approaching death, And so while all the other sons were really not admitted into this very inner chamber of Jacob's life here, his personal life, he's getting so close to departing. You and I have been given this privilege now of being admitted into this very private meeting with Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. And in this private meeting now, you and I are going to really come to know Jacob in a special way because he's getting close to death here. I mean, in this room, you and I have seen how Jacob is approaching death and now under the control of what has really driven Jacob ever since that experience in Genesis 32. Because since that momentous time, that momentous meeting between Jacob and God, we've seen how... God's purposes have now become Jacob's focus in life. And so what we see here in this chapter is that Jacob is now under the control of God's purposes. God's purposes since that time in Genesis 32 have been swaying Jacob ever since he saw God face to face. And he said that that was why he named the place Peniel, face of God. So what we saw in verse five is, is that the two sons of Jacob, which were Ephraim and Manasseh, were adopted by Jacob, and they were to be considered Jacob's children from now on. And this was going to be the way that Joseph would receive a double portion from Jacob, as Joseph's portion now is going to to go through his two sons and therefore be doubled. So the firstborn position, or the birthright, would be taken away from Reuben. It was taken away from Reuben and given to these two sons of Joseph, which Ephraim and Manasseh. This is explained to us in First Chronicles five one. First Chronicle five one says, "Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph." Son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright, it was a very serious crime. It was a very serious crime when Reuben raped Jacob's wife. And as a result of that crime, Jacob took the birthright away, the firstborn birthright away from Reuben, and he's given it to these, giving it to these two sons of Joseph here, to Ephraim and Manasseh. Then we see Jacob clarifying to Joseph that it is only these two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, that were going to be adopted directly by Jacob, and they would no longer be considered Joseph's children, but they're going to be considered Jacob's children. And any further children that Joseph would have would be considered Joseph's children. Now, from what we can tell in Scripture, it doesn't look like Joseph had any other children, but okay, it doesn't matter. So this adoption by Jacob of his two children there was so that Manasseh and Ephraim would be on the same level, the same level as the rest of Jacob's children. And that's what he said in verse 5, and now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. They shall be mine. See, same level. And we can imagine, now do you can imagine this that, um, remember, this is a private meeting. This is only, you know, apart from us, there's only Joseph and and Ephraim and Asa here. But we can imagine that if the other children of Jacob had been there, they might have had an opportunity. They might have wanted to say something about this, you know. (laughs) They might have had something. They might want to chimed in on this situation, the situation of their nephews being made on the same level as them. Maybe they would have said something, you know, not that they ever said anything. They were very close, silent, <laughs> not them. But anyway, Jacob knew that, and that's why Jacob made this decision without consulting them, without consulting his other signs. That's why Jacob here makes this announcement, first to Joseph, that Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be on the same level, okay? So, and that way, when Jacob's children are brought in to this announcement, it, that's exactly what it is. It's an announcement. I've already adopted them, Ephraim and Manasseh, and I put them on the same level as the rest of you. So there's no way that there could be any, uh, w- Dad, wait a minute, let's talk this over first. Let's talk this over because, you, no, that's what, okay. So it's a very private adoption here and the blessing that's gonna follow. And this way, Jacob has prevented any arguments in the future about the status of Ephraim and Manasseh. So, I mean, not that Jacob's son's ever had any history of mistreating any brother or anything like that. So, you know, very nice people anyway. Now, as as Jacob is seeing his life on earth come to an end, Jacob starts to think back about the past. And he's thinking about the past, and and he's talking very openly now. He's very transparent with his son Joseph when he says to him in verse 7, as for me, when I came from Padan Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come to Ephrath and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath the same as Bethlehem so this verse is very special it's very special because of the first words in this verse in verse 7 the first words that sum up what this verse is all about this verse is all about Jacob saying as for me this is an as for me verse. In other words, you can kind of see Jacob just sort of taking this this deep sigh here, takes a deep breath, and he says to Joseph, ask for me. And with these words, Jacob is now going to speak about himself very personally. It's really a sad verse. I mean, uh, verse seven, I don't know, but anyway, I have an opinion, so what is that worth? But I'm not sure, but I think deep down Jacob realizes that Rachel was never God's choice for him. Just my opinion, color of Tom's opinion, whatever. But because Rachel caused Jacob so much trouble. I mean, Rachel pestered Jacob to death for not having children, blaming him to the point where he had to say to her, What, I'm like, God? I mean, Rachel was the first one to introduce the handmade concept for a wife for Jacob. What a joy that was for him. I mean, Rachel lied, and she introduced idolatry into Jacob's house by stealing her father's idols. So in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, Leah was always God's choice for Jacob, but you can't tell Jacob that because Jacob chose Rachel, and it didn't matter how many Leahs, how many Bilhahs, how many Zilpahs were forced on him to be his wife. He chose Rachel. So I think that deep down, Jacob knew that Rachel was never God's choice for him, but but he loved her. Jacob loved Rachel. He loved Rachel from the first time he saw her in Genesis twenty nine eleven. Genesis 29, 11, where it says that Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He loved Rachel. So, and the Bible confirms this when it says that in Genesis 29, 18, Genesis 29, 18, Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel and thy younger daughter. He was very specific, you know, thy younger daughter, but it didn't matter. And then, and then later on, it says in, in Genesis 29, 30, 2930, that he went in also unto Rachel, Jacob, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with them another seven years. So Jacob always loved Rachel and always will love Rachel. And it doesn't matter how many wives he ended up with. He loves Rachel. And this is what verse 7, when you read this, verse 7 is such a tearjerker. I mean, because it's just so sad to see Jacob talk about Rachel here, and he's romanticizing about Rachel. He's forgetting all the grief that Rachel caused him, and he just has these strong personal feelings for Rachel, and that's why Jacob is using all these personal pronouns in verse seven. As for me, I came by me, I buried her. And he starts off, he says, as for me. Now, this is very different from... Jacob, the patriarch father, talking to his sons. Not that his sons ever listened to him, but anyway, this is very different. It's a very different Jacob here in verse seven. It's very personal. It's very tender when Jacob is now with with Joseph. He's not talking to Joseph as a father to his son. He's now talking to Joseph as a friend, as a confidant. And you know, sometimes dads, need to take off their dad hat, and they want to take off their dad hat and put on their friend hat and talk, just talk. And this is what Jacob is doing here. He's taking off his dad hat, and he's just speaking to Joseph as a friend and as a confidant. He's speaking to Joseph friend to friend. He's talking to Joseph, you know, man to man. And and you notice that apart from telling his father that his hands were wrongly placed, Joseph says nothing in this chapter. He's absolutely silent. Because this puts a child in a very awkward position. Because a child can never see his father except for anything but his father. He doesn't see him as a friend. He doesn't see him as a confidant. And, and fathers see that when their children have grown up and you know now they put their children on the same level as friend to friend, and this creates a conflict. It creates a tremendous conflict for children. They can't remove their father from the father position in their minds. But Jacob doesn't see this, and he wants Joseph to be his friend, and he's opening up his heart to Joseph. He's making himself very vulnerable to his son, and Joseph just listens. He just sits there. He has nothing to say. Joseph listens to, to dad as he bears his heart, and he talks in such tender and really sad terms about Joseph's mother, Rachel. So in verse 7, Jacob is lamenting the death of Rachel. That's what he's thinking about. He says in verse 7, Rachel died by me. It's like Jacob is saying, my Rachel died by me. It reminds me of the, the wife of my Orthodox rabbi friend, Hedva. I told her that I spoke with her son, Ailey. And she said, Ailey, my little Ailey. Ailey is over six feet tall. He weighs over 250 pounds. But for Hedva, always he's going to be my little Ailey. Well, Jacob said in verse 8, Rachel died by me. Now, and what we see there is how much he loved, how much Jacob loved Rachel. He really loved her. He loved her in life. He loves her in death. And his love, Jacob's love for Rachel is described by the Song of Solomon, 8-7. You know, Song of Solomon. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. See, that's Song of Solomon. Solomon is all about the power of love and how overcome by love. That's why Song of Solomon has the initials SOS. <laughs> You're in deep trouble. <laughs> anyway, forget that. All right. So for Jacob, Jacob, for Jacob, Rachel is the never to be forgotten one. Never gonna forget her. And so when it says in verse 7, Rachel died by me, by the way, in the Hebrew, the word that's used there is on me. Rachel died on me. Rachel died on me. We don't know, but maybe it leads us to believe that Rachel died in his arms, in his arms. So, I mean, at this point, it's been over 40 years since this has happened, since Rachel died. He can't get over Rachel. Jacob can't get over Rachel. And with, you know, for, there's a, there's a special term which is used in the Bible for describing death, especially in his case there. Death is described as being gathered to, your, to his people. It was gathered to his people. That has meaning for Jacob because he's thinking to himself, I'm going to be gathered to Rachel again, I'm going to be joined again, be back together with her. And for believers, that's a real comfort. That's a comfort. I mean, this is a comfort that God held out to Moses as he was about to die In Numbers 27, 13, in Numbers 27, 13, it says, God speaking to Moses says, I'm talking about the land. And he says, when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. It's great, great comfort sometimes. Reminds me of my son who was telling me about a lost person. And I told him, my son, I said, why don't you tell him that you want to spend eternity with him in heaven? My son said, because I don't want to spend eternity with him in heaven. <laughs> what can you do? Now, Jacob describes the time when Rachel died, as in verse 7. Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. So when Jacob said that Rachel died when there was just a little way to go, just a little way to go, Before they came to Ephrath, you can hear in Jacob's tone this surprise of the unexpected and the if only type of grief he has here. You know, for Jacob, he wasn't expecting Rachel to die. I mean, she was in great health. She didn't look like a person who was going to die. She'd already had one son, that was Joseph. And so there was no reason to think that she was going to die in childbirth a second time. She didn't even have twins. I mean, why should she die? It just should have been a normal routine delivery. Totally unexpected for Rachel to die. It's like the person who, you know, today, you know, so, so she was such great shape. She's such terrific shape, a little lump on the breast. What was that? Who knew breast cancer would take her life? Or just a normal, beautiful day. Just a normal, beautiful day, just set out on the road. Who knew the fatal car accident would happen? It was this is a surprise that's in Jacob's voice as he talks about Rachel. But worse than the surprise When he's talking about how Rachel died, he's saying that just a little way, just a little way, just a little tiny way, it wasn't much to come to Ephrath. He's saying, why couldn't she have held off for just a little bit longer before she went into labor? We would have been in the town there. Maybe there'd been an inn. We could have gotten a room in an inn. Better go. We could have got better prepared for this childbirth. Or maybe he's blaming himself. He's saying, you know, maybe if I had just gotten up earlier, start on the days. Pushed a little bit farther each day, you know. We would have made it to Ephrath, and Rachel would have had a maybe she would have had a chance of surviving in the childbirth if she was in the city and not out there on the road. So this statement of just a little way longer until we reached Ephrath—it's the heart distress of the what ifs. The what ifs: if only we had done that mammogram earlier. If only we had gone to the doctor more frequently. If only that road wasn't taken. If only it was a few minutes later, a few minutes earlier, and the accident wouldn't have occurred. See, all this shows that it's bad to live in this world of the what-ifs, which is where he's going. Because God's in control, and he allows. It's God allowing. And since God is good, it's like, where do we go from here now that this happened? After all, if there any believer... If he dies, the believer goes to heaven to be with the Lord. For, well, what could be better than that? And for the person left behind, it's like, what comes next in this adventure called life? What does God have in store for me next? That's the question to pursue, not the what ifs of the past. So Jacob here, when he's looking back over his life and, and he's, he's, he's seeing all these different things, which we have in this chapter here, really there's three words, There's three words to describe what he saw. The first word came out in verse three. God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So the first word is God. This is what he sees in his life, God. Jacob is thinking back of the first time he met God, was back there when the ladder and the angels. And it's that made such an indelible impression on his life. It was like a stamp that never left Jacob's life. It's a good thing to go back to that time. It's a good thing for us to go back to the time when we called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, told him we were a sinner, asked him to save us from our sins. Good to go back to that. That's what Jacob's doing. Good to see that. And he, he says in verse 16, he says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Jacob sees his life as one evil after another. That's what he told Pharaoh.
0: Few and evil have been the days of my life. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.
2: Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619 619- Or sign up at ReachIsrael.com That's ReachIsrael.com
0: What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on youtube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org.
2: Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, Full color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95 and receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, Call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com.